um, would you go ahead with me and open to Second Samuel chapter 7. Probably you have heard from there a couple of times, but still, today the Lord chose to speak to us through the same chapter again, so I believe him. Uh, just as he, has, he had said, um, I'm married to a beautiful woman, Melissa. God sent her for me in a very remote village called Midigo. Um, and I met her six years ago. And then after two years, uh, we got married. It was a trying, difficult moment, cross-culturally getting married. Uh, but God worked everything so well. And this year, in January, we hit four years in marriage. Um, I'm about to say what one time she told me. You shouldn't say it again. It feels like 20 years. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know. I'm trying just to learn some cultural jokes that you men make here. Um, I don't know why the men here usually say it feels like these years. So women, please, if your husband is there, you will ask him at home why sometimes they say that. So I'm just kidding. Um, God has blessed us with two beautiful, adorable sons, Zachary, who just made two, and Ian, who is a month. Amen? Um, why don't we pray this morning as the Lord leads us through his word? Heaven, Father, we thank you for loving us so much. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for this church. We thank you for all the pastors that are here, the ministers that are here, Lord. We give you praise and glory. And we give glory to you for the people who are right now here, Lord, that you will open our eyes and, and convict us and, and, and challenge us, rebuke us, exhort us, and, and, and increase our trust in you, Lord. For we love you, for we totally want to surrender to you and commit our lives to you. May you be glorified and may you be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Um, I'm so well blessed throughout the years I've been able to meet this young pastor, Xavier, <laughs> and the wife, they are such beautiful people to be around and so they took us in and started discipling us and encouraging us and just all of a sudden um, just this Tuesday he called me up at night and said Vincent would you mind to speak tonight and I kind of tried to hesitate and I was wondering whether he's trying to test me and so today I'm here teaching the word of God. So let's read the first um, 
Let's read the first seven verses. It says, Now it came to pass, when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around, that the king said to Nathan the prophet, See how I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in tent curtains. Then Nathan said to the king, Do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But it happened that night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dealt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel upon uh, up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Uh, from these verses, we see uh, great things. Uh, there seems to be no immediate indication how soon or after uh, the bringing up of the ark. But all what we know is it was a short while period. Um, chapter 6 gives us the clue. Um, but most importantly, what we want to see here is that God had granted David a rest from all the battles. He was at peace and he had built himself an expensive house with beams made of cedar wood. The cedar wood from west part of Tyre was valued for both its fragrance and durability. So it was such a costly house at that time. And it came to pass when King David was dwelling in his house that maybe probably one morning as he sat and he looked over and he saw the tent, the dwelling place, the presence of God was in a tent Maybe it was probably day after night, as he thought about it, as he meditated upon it, and he decided to reach to Prophet Nathan and gave him what he felt in his heart to build a house for the Lord. Uh, so most teachers have different themes for this chapter. Some say it's, some give titles that um, uh, how to handle the disappointments of life. And, and, and some just say, what if God says no, what would you do? But as I try to look deeper, I realize it's much more than that. And so my theme tonight is the hope of the next generation is at our hands. The reason being verses 10 and 17 to 17. 
Today, so many Christians are living in despair, discouraged, so hopeless because of what they see in life, because of what we do not know how the future will look like. The economic depression, the increased apostasy, the terrorism, the televisions that we watch, the governance, our schools, rubbish is poured. The future of our children brings no hope. And that's the worry we have. And that is the discomfort we have. We don't know while we are gone what is going to be next. And there seems to be disappointment after and after. Recently, the government, you know, urges everyone to have insurance policy. And, and for us who just get probably 2,000, 3,000 and use it in the mission field, it has been difficult for us to get even the insurance. And every time anything is happening, sometimes you say probably Kaiser and whatever type of insurance policies that you have, there seems to be no hope. But where is the problem? It's us. And where is the hope? It's in us. And here is the problem. Uh, the problem is right in verse 1 of the book just we read. The problem is this. We have walked away from trusting God to technology. We have ceased praying. We have ceased to stand for the truth. The greatest of all our prayer times are filled up with televisions, iPhones, computers, leisure times. Our children have 10% or less time of the day with us. 90% they are spending in the garbage. Even at meal times, we can't talk with our kids. That's the hope we have. That's what lies ahead of us. Let's read verse 1. Probably it doesn't tell us exactly, but I just saw it clearly. There it says, Now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around. What do you think the problem is? problem is prayer. It doesn't tell me here that David first prayed and seek the counsel of God. Chuck Smith usually says, one of his teachings, he says a prayer is, prayer is a deciding factor. And how many times do we rush with whatever fabulous ideas that we have that we do not seek God's presence. The first thing David should have done is to inquire of the Lord. His thought was beautiful, just as our thoughts are. Building a house for the Lord sounds awesome. But his approach was wrong. 
Instead, he went to consult Nathan, the prophet. Many times, people come to me and say, Pastor, I was thinking about ABCD. What do you say? And I would say, well, did you pray about it? And I realized they haven't prayed. And I said, okay, well, go and pray about it. Then come back to me. Why? Because I do not want them to be disappointed at the end. Because their plan sounds good in my ears, doesn't mean. I just go with everything they say, just like Nathan. He had what Daniel's, uh, David said, and he just said, may the Lord be with you. The Lord will be with you. But was that truth? Prayer was not a deciding factor in David's life. But the thought was beautiful. It's so amazing that when we seek God first, God directs our lives. And many times we end up building things without the instruction of the Lord. One time a brother came to me in the church and he had financial problems. And so he said, a pastor, um, I have financial problems. Can I go and work in a tobacco factory? I gave him the scriptures. I said, choose. Is the Lord going to use you in the tobacco factory? Or you will end up smoking. I didn't tell him no or yes. I say pray about it. And he prayed about it. And one of my cousins raised until God saved him. And said, Pastor, I have been in a relationship with this girl. But now I am saved. And it breaks my heart to say no because she's not saved. What should I do? I said, you know what to do. Pray about it. I gave him the scriptures. And it's him to battle. Because revival, the truth, is in us. God has put a seed of truth, a seed of righteousness in us. And so, the most important thing in life that I emphasize tonight is prayer being a deciding factor. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. Our church, 12 years ago, was born of prayer. God called a pastor to serve in the remote village, 95% Muslim community. No evangelical churches. This pastor had to ride his motorcycle 75 miles to the next city for Sunday service and ride back to work in the hospital. And he started praying alone in his tuku, and God brought him a workmate. Soon, they started praying there, and eventually friends came in, and we joined in. And it was so amazing that it moved from his living room to under a mango tree, and then to a grass-touched sanctuary. And then today we have a sanctuary. And the church now has grown 
to about 400 to 500 people. And four church plants stemmed out of this fellowship. It was so beautiful that it was in fellowship of God's word. It was bounded in prayer. Every little thing that came to the growth of the ministry was born out of prayer. The time we had nothing, we would pray. I remember the nights, our Friday nights, we pray the whole night. Fervent prayer, unceasingly. And every time we needed something, we would pray. God opened schools. Donors started coming and the church started growing. I pray that you pray for our church. Politics came in, divisions. People ceased praying. Employment came. Pray for us. Today, it's a miserable church, spiritual, but physically, it's growing, it's blossoming. And another illustration is this. One time, a white missionary went to the mission field. And as he was there, he asked the church on Sunday service, what are your needs? And so the people started pouring the projects. We, we need water project. We need solar panels. We need this and that, this and that. And he wrote them down. And he said, you know what? On Monday, come early in the morning here, and we can see how God can provide for these needs. So many people came on Monday, and God gave him wisdom. He said, okay, let's pick these items one by one. I don't know how many they were. Let's pray for them. The whole day they prayed. He said, okay, let's come again next day, Tuesday. The number started reducing, reducing until before it reached the next Sunday, it was only this missionary with the pastor. It's so horrible that sometimes back in Africa, I don't know the way the missionaries go, they make, you know, them believe that they have money in wheelbarrows. And so people cease praying, trusting in God and looking for organizations. And God stops working. But we see every time, every generation, revival begins with broken heart, knees bent in prayers, colors formed Some few quotes. To desire revival and at the same time neglect prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk the other way. A.W. Tozer said this. To desire revival and at the same time neglect prayer and devotion is to wish one way and walk the other way. How cry tonight is revival. 
But are we committed in devotion? Are we praying? Are we on our knees? Another quote. Faith and prayer are the vitamins of the soul. Man cannot live in health without them. John Banyan. Another quote. Satan doesn't care how many people read about prayer. If only he can keep them from praying. Paul E. Bohemer. We study, we read about prayer. But practically, we come on our knees and pray. In a nutshell, I wish that the hope of tomorrow begins today in prayer. The hope of our schools, the hope of our children. I adorn Calvary Chapel upon teaching God's word, but I'm sometimes discouraged by the little time people have given in prayer. Our prayer rooms are filled with tables of drinks and snacks. No wonder we are taking the wrong vitamins. Remember? The quote, faith and prayer are the vitamins of the soul. And we get sick. And it costs us more to treat. Yet prayer brings healing. If you read Matthew chapter 17, verses 20 to 21, it says, So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, the kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Do we really pray and fast for God's will, for God's direction, for the future of our nation? Are our prayer meetings filled with people or their enmity? I believe the prayer leaders, maybe missionary prayer leaders, sometimes get discouraged of how many people attend the prayer meetings. And still in that verse, we see the word rest. That the Lord had given David rest. Rest is a very important role in this tiny body of ours. It's very important. God rested on the seventh day after creation. Moses was burning morning to sunset until his father-in-law Jethro, a wise man, came and gave him advice. Choose other men so that you can rest. They can judge Rest is so beautiful, but how do we spend our rest? I see here there is no rest. Our rests are occupied from work. You have to take either your grandchildren or your children to Disneyland, to eating places, computer games, and different things, recreational activities that you can mention. 
But do we really find time in the presence of the Lord? My wife knows my heart. And she knows that when I'm in closed doors and she knocks at the door, she knows the kind of a look I give her. I'm the unhappiest when somebody interrupts my prayer time. And I pray that God can give us that heart to move mountains, to see victory. Jesus was the model of rest. In the storming, see, he was sleeping. The disciples were running around in Samaria looking for food in John 4. Where was Jesus? Jesus was resting at the well and met this Samaritan woman and fed her with the gospel. And always you find Jesus going to a solitary place to pray. Do we have solitary places today? Verses 4 to 7. Prophet Nathan is first mentioned, but he is a good prophet here. Uh, the same chapter here correlates with Chronicles and Kings, so you can search out and read more about Prophet Nathan. But the only greatest thing here is that he too didn't sought the presence of God. And so we see in verses 4 to 7, it says, But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dealt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up, up from Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to any one from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? These verses stress is not that God was mad with David asking to build him a house, but the major point is David asked at the wrong timing and God said, wait. And today, the word wait is just there in our vocabulary. It's not in action. We are not patient. We are always rushing. Everything moves so fast, especially with men. I personally am not patient, especially with manuals. I think this is every man's problem. <laughs> Always not patient. Uh, one time um, we got some good donations and, and we wanted just to prevent our clothes from the rats eating in our small Tukul house. And so we went to the nearby city and, and bought, you know, these wardrobes for our clothes. And so I was just excited about the result, not the manual. So I just looked. I didn't read the words. I looked at the picture, and I started putting together this furniture. 
and later I realized that there were different types of screws and nuts. I didn't know where they were going, but I had already messed up with the furniture. And you know what? I was sorry for myself because my wife told me, first read the manual. I said, no, I'm wise. You know, every time men feel that they're genius. (laughs) I don't know why. And so I messed up the first cupboard and I took it up for myself. And I became patient and fixed the nice one after reading the manuals and instructions. And I gave it to my wife. Till to this day, it exists. Mine never exists. Many times we just rush. We are not patient. And everything that we fix never lasts. But when we seek God's patience, when we seek God's will, everything built in patience in God's presence live forever. And so there are probably other reasons uh, that God didn't allow Paul to build the temple. Uh, one of the reasons is verse 1 and 2 still. One of the points is that building house for the Lord wasn't David's priority or calling. David was genius in fighting. He had honorary all over. They sang his name all over Israel. And God knew that was his calling. And so God said, that's what I've called you for. And the problem today is we are always concerned first with our physical needs. Then comes God's needs. And that's the other reason. Paul, I mean David, didn't make the temple as his first priority. Verse 1 and 2 says, first he built a nice house for himself. Then he looked outside and said, oh, God is dwelling outside. And many times the physical things take the whole of our lives. (laughs) By the time we realize God is outside even this tent, and then we remember him, and sometimes it's too late. And then it takes us extra miles You know, to draw close to God. I think the first thing should have been, Oh God, thank you for the victories that you have given me. Now I have rest. Can I build a temple for you before? I build for myself. And probably that's the reason why God didn't allow David to build the temple. Two, pride. One of the seven things that the Lord detests And one of the three gods in our lives, pride, money, and women. You may not see the pride in David's life, but I really see it. First, he has built an expensive house, won a dozen of victories, of honorary. The next was now to display the wealth in architecture where God did not call him. That's why God reminds him of things he has achieved. Verses 8 to 9. If you read there, God tells him, you have achieved all this. 
What more do you need? And God knew the problem David would fall in. And sometimes we ask things, God hinders them for us because God knows there will be trouble in our work. Do you doubt that? Look, Solomon, the same thing happened to Solomon. If you continue to read the chapters, you'll find one time David called the heathen kings and showed every treasure. And God said, what? That's pride. And what happened the next time? Everything was taken. Thirdly, God's timing and glory. Verses 10, 12. Verses 10 and 12 says, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more, nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them any more as previously. We see here that David asked to build a temple for the Lord at the wrong time. And so the Lord said, wait, because God knew the perfect time, the perfect place. Sometimes we ask God at the wrong time or at the wrong place. And we miss his blessings. God always has a perfect time to do his work. You can only do the portion he allows you to do. Many times we are compelled to go forward to help God in his plans. And I think that's what David was seeing. And then we hurt people. We hurt ministries. We squander with the resources. God only accepted David to gather the materials, but not live to see what the materials did. And sometimes that's what God has just called us for. Many Christian organizations go to the mission as the Lord opens doors, opportunities to them to prepare the raw materials. And you know, the biggest problem is they always want to add on and they end up missing and hurting people. I've seen that throughout my mission field, mission work and see how that happens. Pride, name, going extra miles where God has not told us to go. For David had more battles to fight in his later years. And probably God knew that. And God said, no, it's your son Solomon who will build the temple. And what does that mean? And sometimes God gives us a perfect gift. And that is it. And he knows he will use our life maximally in that gift. And you know the problem with us, we think the more gifts that we can display, the more that we can touch lives. But you never know how much only one gift can touch souls. It's discouraging sitting here to pray for missionaries. We always feel compelled to be in the mission field. But you don't know how much a prayer of a righteous man avails. 
6. Actual 5. God is always stirring a new revival. God wanted to begin a new revival through a new generation. And the point, the focal point was building a temple through Solomon's generation. That is a problem for us tonight. Always there has been a focal point where God begins a revival. And so God lets us not touch that focal point so that the next generation, God may start with that point. And so God hasn't allowed David to build this temple. But God knew by the time Solomon comes and the temple is built, true worship is restored. Isn't that amazing? We always think of finishing things. And heart, what did Paul say? Some are called to plant, some are called to water. But be a faithful servant in whatever God has called you. And also these verses, if you read verses 6 in our sixth point, verses 13 to 17, God gets the glory. In the beginning, Dev said he wanted to build a temple for God. But what does God say in verse 13? Concerning Solomon, he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. For my name. The problem is sometimes it's our glory that drives us instead of God's glory. And God hinders us. God hoped, David hoped for a name and to take more credit. But verses 13, God says, a house for my name. It also wraps up what God, that God's relationship with the nation of Israel will live forever. And it also wraps the promise for us who are grafted into this blessedness. What man builds lasts for a while, but what God builds is forever. And these verses also carry God's promise for the nation of Israel as we had seen. And so here is the hope for the generation. God's promises endure forever. Joel chapter 2 verses 28 to 29 tells us about the dreams, the visions, and that's the hope we have. And so don't be discouraged. Let's read verse 14. There is a beauty in this verses 14 to 17. So much beauty there. I will be his father and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. But my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words and according to all this vision, so Nathan spoke to David. Uh, in these verses we see 
a great beauty. One of the greatest fears of Christian families today is the fear of the future of our children. And so what happens? We scourge them. We try to bend them. So we end up forcing them into programs and drive them nuts. I am not saying no discipline should be applied. But I'm saying watch how much discipline you give to your children. Why? These are the reasons as we conclude. We see here God gives the best method because he himself is in control. One, let them see you live what God you believe in. Let your children see what you believe in. Let them see your prayer times. Let them see your devotion. Let them see how you love your wife. Let them see how you're careful with your words. Let them see how you relate with others. Let them see your service in the church. Two, just love them. Do not pamper them with worldly things. So many times we think when we give them these things, they, you know probably they can love you and, and, and come to do what the Lord has put in your heart for them to be. And we end up spoiling them. It never brings them back. But the greatest thing, the first priority, pray for them. Claim God's promises for them. God has the promises here. God says, it will endure forever here. As God promised David. And that's the same promise God has for us believers, for our children, for our grandchildren. Pray the promises. Claim them in Jesus' name. And lastly, trust God to keep them. Or always that God will bring them back. Verses 14 and 15. Isn't that what God says in his word? <laughs> Read. It's, it's, it's just so amazing, so clear. That God will do the chastisement. The best thing that we can do is to pray for them. And let them watch us. And back to the theme, the hope of the next generation is in our hands. The way we live it. It's not too late. Most of us have given up. What did Joshua say? Me and my family will serve to live. We live to serve the Lord. So don't be discouraged by the internet, by the governance, by everything that's going around. And sometimes that is dangerous. It distracts us from God wants us to do particularly for our families, for the future of our children. And sometimes we just grasp what we think we can. We don't let it go because we think God is not in control. But God is in control. Can we stand up as we pray together?
And as we have talked about prayer, I know God is here. He's working. There are some of you who may be discouraged, disappointed. Maybe have cancers. Maybe a family member. Whatever situation is going in your life, God knows today you're here to hear his word and it's going to heal you. It's going to touch you and it's going to restore the relationship you had with him, but it always starts with broken heart. Can we spend this time in quietness? Just pour your heart to him. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Your grace abounds forever. Your promises are true. Your God of hope. Your God of healing. Your God who searches us in and out. You know our rising, Lord. You you know our weaknesses, you know our sins, Lord. And tonight we commit our lives to you. Begin afresh in us, Lord. Pour your anointing, touch your people, heal them. Cover them with your grace. Show them that you love them and use the scriptures, Lord, to encourage them, Lord. God, you can do anything. You drove demons, Lord. You healed all kinds of diseases, and you're the same God today. It just costs a little faith, and Lord, we know all of us have that little faith to touch lives and to be healed and to be moved and to be changed. And Father, if it's not the healing, but Lord, we know. Give us hope. Encourage us to go through whatever we are going through tonight. Let us see it in a different perspective than in despair, Lord. We love you. We thank you. We give you glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. God bless you.